listening to the Top Music Guitar Podcast, the show for guitar teachers to learn about the craft of teaching great guitar lessons that students love. If you're looking to start or expand your studio and make guitar teaching your full-time dream job, you've come to the right place. Each week, you'll get to hear from some of the top guitar teachers from around the globe and get their best tips and experiences so you too can build your own dream studio. I'm your host, Michael, and I've founded one of the top guitar schools in Australia, written a best-selling curriculum, and I mentor guitar teachers. I'm excited to share my expertise with you and the wisdom of all the experts we interview. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Top Music Guitar Teaching Podcast. With me today, we have a very special guest who's going to give us some fantastic wisdom to help us kick off 2023. Now, this guest is someone who uh, grew up in the UK, but made the big scary transition over to the US and has recently found himself with uh, a high profile teaching position in a, a very notable institution, which is gonna, can't wait to pick his brain and ask him about how we can go about setting some things up, but has also had his finger in a number of different pies in terms of the online teaching world and someone who has adapted incredibly well to the events of the last two or three years and has found himself in a, a very good position. So welcome to the podcast, Rob Garland. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's always great to have uh, people from all around the world connecting. And uh, again, the purpose of this podcast is to take the knowledge from people who are very experienced teachers in various different fields or specialties and help it transfer to the next generation of teachers coming on up or people who, are, again, have been teaching for a lifetime already, but still want to connect with their students better or run a better business or somehow find out that one little bit of information that's going to help everything click. So, Rob, I'm really looking forward to picking your brain today. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. <laughs> so why don't you give our listeners a, a brief background about your career, both as a musician and transitioning into teaching? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I was uh, I grew up in the southeast of England in a little seaside town that nobody knows called Margate and just 40,000 people there. And when I was about 14, started playing the guitar, just instantly loved it. And, um, and then kind of, you know, went Pretty soon after that, I started playing in bands, took some lessons and started playing in bands as, as, as uh, soon as I could. And that really continued, you know, through my school years and then into um, university. And, you know, I would do things like I would pick the university I went to so I didn't have to break up the band, you know. <laughs> like all the decisions were music-based, one thing or another, you know. So, and then I sort of started playing around London and, and just lots of different genres, you know. Or even in the early days, I was always quite open to different styles of music. And so it wouldn't be unusual to be playing college circuit with a, you know, like a, a Brit pop band or something and then have like a hard rock band or a folk duo. Yeah, you know, I was always doing lots of different things, which I think is is good because it, you know, it forces you to get out of your comfort zone a little bit and learn different styles. So I started teaching while I was still in England um, and, and doing all the gigs and everything. And then when I moved to the US around 2000, I was looking for kind of steady gigs and it took a few years. I played in, again, lots of different types of bands. And then I kind of had this um, this blues rock trio called the Blue Monks. And that became a mainstay for, for about five or six years. And we used to 
tour and we would play about 220 gigs a year. So it was a lot of gigs. And that was my full-time job at that point. And then after, uh, you know, and then kind of like that, that whole market of playing those more high profile gigs, like festivals and casinos and all that started to kind of change a little bit um, in the sort of mid two thousands. And I was getting a bit tired of <laughs> doing that many gigs, uh, you know? And so I, um, I'd always been teaching. I'd always had a few private students through that time, but then I kind of ramped it back up to a more of a full-time teaching uh, load. And then I would still play gigs, but I would I would do just original gigs or I started getting really into kind of like jazz and, and jazz rock kind of stuff. So I would do those gigs, gigs I wanted to play that wouldn't make any money, but just for the love of it. And teaching became my main kind of, you know, way of uh, paying the bills. And that led me into doing instructional books for Cherry Lane. And then I got hooked up with True Fire, um, started doing their online classrooms. I, I would go to Florida every couple of years and film courses for them. And that's continued to this day. And I, and, on, and their sort of parent, uh, their sister company, Jam Play, which they, they now kind of own. I worked with them as well, you know, and all this stuff went on and on. And then um, moved to Los Angeles, continued this idea of just trying to play gigs that I kind of wanted to play because it's you know, it's a very competitive town. It's there is that pay to play thing, which is awful, and I refuse to do that. You know, where you where you pay money and there's seven bands and you play for twenty minutes. You know, it's it's kind of ridiculous. But um, been very fortunate to play at uh, some great venues here. My favorite place is a place called the Baked Potato, which is like a kind of a jazz fusion club, kind of a famous legendary one. club. Uh, legendary club, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I uh, love playing there. It's just just mind blowing to me, really. But um, anyway, so when I first moved to LA, I started working at a music academy, and that was teaching group classes and doing you know workshops and all that kind of stuff. And then and then after doing that for about five years, I got. Uh, a position at um, MI, which used to be GIT, Musicians Institute. And that's been great because, you you know, you've been around some very inspirational teachers and, of course, the students as well, you know. Um, and then through – so I kept doing that. And also I've kept up a really um, pretty big amount of um, – online students some of my online students i've had for over 10 years you know and, and wow. so really good relationships with with a lot of those people and so i've kept that going as well as best i can still do the gigs and then um what else has been going on and then of course with Co with covid mi was was running a parallel online school so we all kind of took over that and did the online part and then coming out of covid i've kind of stuck mostly to the online stuff because my private student body is so busy you know so at the moment i'm kind of juggling between it all <laughs> you know but still doing the gig still releasing music uh yeah and i i should also mention i did a bunch of sessions some in england some here probably the notable ones here were like at the village recorder and um jj abrams studio bad robot which is pretty cool because when i went in there they were, they were filming star wars next door and that was very exciting you know, Ooh, to me. Very cool. <laughs> i was really nerding out while i was there you know so but yeah that was really cool and i got to meet some great musicians there um yeah so oh, and one thing i should mention just while i'm name dropping uh one of the highlights of the mi experience was getting to uh to play on stage for half an hour with steve Vai. uh just like one-on-one -on -one jamming back and forth it was incredible so that was you know if you told the 15 year old me in the little seaside town one day i'd be doing that that would be mind-blowing you know so yeah it was pretty cool so you know it's been a i've been i've been fortunate but I've also hustled a lot. <laughs> that yeah. would be my point, you know, with that. So I think that's a that's kind of the overview.
Yeah, and that's an interesting point that you bring up right at the end there because I was going to dive into uh, yeah. getting started with yeah. Cherry Lane. So there's obviously, you know, you're yeah. a guitar teacher, and I don't want to put anyone down who's one of our listeners, but you come in, you teach either for yourself or a school, and you pretty much do the same thing over and over again. But then there's that next kind of tier of teacher who either starts creating their own content or reaches out or is approached by one of these third-party companies like Cherry Lane or Jam Play that's creating products and services. And Maybe there's a little bit of celebrity to that, but someone's got to do it. So how did you go about getting a contract with Cherry Lane or getting involved with that publishing company? In so, so, yeah, that's a great question, actually. So so what I did was, um, even when I was back in England, I would always send my CDs to the guitar magazines, and I would also hit them up for, um, hey, would you like me to write a lesson on this or on that? Now, it's a bit like trying to get signed. You know, you, you, you do that 50 times, and maybe one editor goes, sure, write me a pentatonic lesson or something you know so i actually started getting a little bit of stuff published and of course the one of the publishers of um guitarist or guitar player magazine was connected with john sticks who who started cherry lane and he ran that i don't know if you remember there was a magazine guitar one he ran for a long time which is a really cool magazine um so once i got connected with him then it was kind of like you have to submit you know an outline and two full chapters of the first book and you go there and you go back and forth and and that started and because of that I was able to use the book to submit some stuff to Truefire and and when I got into Truefire I mean I've been with them for such a long time when I got in with them they were still doing CD ROMs <laughs> for the courses you know that's how long ago that was and and um you know it's one of those things where if you've got some stuff published you can kind of you can still um, suggest courses and everything, but at the same time, if they don't think the content's good, they're not going to do it. You know, so you have to be, you have to prepare a lot. When when I went for my first Truefire course shoot in in Florida, you know, and the courses are intense. We shoot a whole course in one day, including the photos and everything else. You know, and so you you need to go in there with it prepared you know you need to have every example written out, everything ready to go, and I would practice it at home before I went. You know, and and. They said to me in those early days, that was not the norm. A lot of people would go in there and be kind of like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, you know, and it's so obviously for them, it makes their life much easier if you go in there with a full plan and you just just do it. You know, so that would be the big thing I would say. It's like um, send a lot of stuff out to people. Uh, I mean, Truefire used to have a tab on their website where anybody could suggest a course. I think they've taken it down because maybe they got <laughs> a little too much. Uh, but, but I mean, you, they are approachable, as are a lot of these other companies. And, you know, I did the same thing with Premier Guitar Magazine. I just wrote to them and started sending them stuff, and then I had some lessons published. So there is an element of you just do it. You know, you just have to make that initial contact and try it. Yeah, some some really, really solid advice. And how many reject? I suppose you don't really get rejection letters, but what what's, what stopped you from giving up once you've you know you've done forty nine submissions? What made yeah. you send number fifty? I'm just really really stubborn. I think <laughs> you, know, like, you know it's it's uh, yeah. I mean, and and even you know, and I, there is there is a lot of time where it does get a bit disheartening when people just don't even respond to a lot of stuff you do, you know, and, and even, even with companies you've worked with before that can still be the case. So you have to kind of develop a little bit of thick skin about that side of it. I think, you know, I mean, I'm not, it's not like I'm emailing them a hundred times a day, you know, but at the same time, you know, I think, I think there is an element of perseverance to it for sure. You know, definitely. And that's, I think something that moving forward, I, I definitely noticed 
a lack of resilience with a lot of people at the moment. Um, it's pretty easy to, on the back of two years of lockdown, have your spirit a little bit crushed. Yeah, um, yeah. But if this is something you want to do, you've got to make it happen. And part of that is just never giving up and being relentless. And maybe you do need to reflect on, am I sending out good stuff? Am I wording everything correctly? Can I do something to stand out above the other applicants? But at the end of the day, you never give up. As long as you keep on iterating and trying to improve what you're doing, Provided you're doing good work, someone will get through it. You just got to kind of outlast everybody sometimes. Yeah, and and I could see somebody maybe saying, "Yeah, but you live in Los Angeles, so it's it's easier." Let me give you an example. When I lived in uh, I lived in St. Louis for for a few years, and um, when I was there, that that was at the point where the band thing was slowing up a little bit, and I wanted to make the transition to teaching more. So. At one point there, you know, I didn't have, I maybe had just a couple of students and I wanted to get it up to about 40 students. So what I did was I went to all the guitar centers, made cards, put them on their ad boards. I befriended the guys in the guitar departments, gave them my business cards, did the same thing for the coffee shops. You know, I would, I would go, like when I would go to a rehearsal studio with a band, they would always have those boards, and, you know, and it's like maybe even befriend the owner of the rehearsal studio, give him a card in case somebody says, hey, do you know anyone that's teaching? And that's, you know, that, you know, Craigslist, refresh the ad every day, you know, those little steps like that. I think that's obvious, but I must admit, <laughs> I meet a lot of people that don't do those kind of things, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, having coached a couple of guitar teachers, you go, yeah, you've got to post them every day, refresh them every day, and people are like, yeah. what? That's too much work. It's like, well, right. if you don't do it, someone else will. And the yeah, worst thing exactly. you can do is 20 years from now go, oh, I could have done this. I'm a better player than him, a better teacher than him. Yeah, but they did the hard work to get the uh, to get the gig. And at the end of the day, there's a lot of talented people out there who some are going to be better than you, some – you're going to be better than them. But at the end of the day, if they've got a better work ethic, that's going to outcome any, <laughs> overcome any sort of natural talent or ability. So guys, if you listen to this, you've got to go out and get your opportunity. But speaking of opportunity, what made you uh, take the plunge and obviously relocate to the USA? Oh, that was a, that was a lady. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, you figured, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was I was married for a long time, <laughs> not now, but uh, yeah. So that was that was the big the big decision, and you know it was kind of like and and moving to at that point moving over to the Midwest was quite a culture shock. You know, I could see if I was coming straight to LA, but as a musician, I didn't really know much about the Midwest. As it turns out. You know, there's a lot of gigs there and some great musicians just just took a little bit of time to kind of integrate into that into that kind of scene. But the same thing, I, as soon as I landed in that town, well, actually, I put up adverts on the local musicians, uh, you know, online ads before I even moved there. So I already had some stuff lined up when I got there, uh, you know, and, and then and then just the same thing. Oh, these two clubs have have jam nights every Tuesday, every Friday, whatever, go every week. Meet, make friends, you know. Soon enough, I found about found out about a a, um, a soul band that needed a guitar player. And that was the first paid gig there, you know, just from going to those jams and meeting people, you know. And I think that that element of it, and I think in this day and age, for for younger people, I think we have to be a little bit careful with the social media and the meet and the not going out to places to interact with people. I think, you know, I go to the NAM show every year and all of my equipment endorsements and a lot of other things have come from just talking to people at the NAM show. It's amazing how it's such a friendly environment for one thing. Have you been, have you been to that? No, I haven't made it over yet, unfortunately. But you know, you know, the, the yes, whole yes. thing. Well, right? Yeah. So, it, you know, it, <laughs> it's, um, there's still that being, being personable and, and, and just talking to people, you know, and I, and I do encourage 
um, younger people, if they're looking for gigs especially, you know, to, to go to jam nights and put yourself out there. Because just sitting, playing on camera is one thing, but it's, it's different, right? When you actually go and, you know, interact with people, it is very, very worthwhile. Yeah. And these companies get thousands of emails every single day about people wanting things. But when someone rocks up and introduces themselves and has that combination, there's no substitute for human connection. And I'm a big advocate of online lessons and online learning, but the one little thing missing is that ability to be in a room with someone and just feel that energy. And uh, I think that's something which, as you pointed out, is going to be really interesting with future generations to see how it's affected. But at the end of the day, guys, like, you know, music is about connection in many ways as it is about individual expression as well, but we definitely want to have that human connection element. And the best thing you can do with your music is share it with other people or play with other people. And if you're just going to be a bedroom musician, no disrespect for people who do some amazing things in their bedroom, but you do miss out on a a very important part of the experience. Yeah. And I do think that's changed a little bit. You know, that idea of how you get together with some friends and you, and you put a set together and you, you literally get in a van and go somewhere and try and try and gig with it. You know, I think that part of it is, is going away a little bit, which is a shame. You know, now there are some fantastic uh, online musicians, no, no question, but I hope that they're also doing that. You know, I hope they're also getting out there and playing with people a little bit, you know, and I also, you know, and a good thing you could do it as a teacher, if you have um, in-person students, or even if you have online students, because the, the technology does exist now is encourage them. Once they get to a certain level, encourage them to play with some of your other students or to seek out other, other people to play with. Cause I, you know, as I'm sure, you know, playing with other people is, is so important. That's it. And I say this to my students all the time. Like if you go to football training, you don't just want to endlessly do football training without playing the game. You kind of want to go out and play a game, but people will do guitar lessons for 10 years and never go to a gig or a jam session or an open mic or something like that. That's probably one of the scariest, most intimidating things you ever do the first time or the first couple of times. But just like the first couple of games of any sport you play or a boxing match or something like that, until you actually get in the ring or get out in the arena, you know, it's all hypothetical. And that's when you really get put in your place, not in a negative way, but you figure out what went well, what didn't go so well that you need to work on. And if you do it in like a, you know, a nice, safe, inclusive environment with a couple of friends or a friendly jam night or open mic night or a jam session with a couple of mates, even if it's just in someone's garage, it hopefully starts that sort of, you know, little flame, that little passion, that little bit of addiction. You get to live playing and performing in front of people and your whole world opens up. You go from a bedroom player. And again, no one sits in their bedroom going, I'm going to be the best bedroom guitar player ever. Every single person without a doubt, I hope my mum and dad hear this, or I hope someone walking past my brother goes, comes and goes, oh, it's starting to sound like a song. Or hopefully I can put this out on the internet and people all around the world are going to like it and admire it. And even though we may not necessarily be openly, blatantly seeking admiration, that's one of our basic human needs is that connection, that admiration, that approval from people. So on a subconscious level, we want people to notice our guitar playing. And the best thing you can do with that is go out there and actually play. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and something happens too. As soon as you play with other musicians, especially a drummer, that moment will never exist again. You know, something happens in that moment. Now, yes, you might play the same song again the next week, but it won't be the same. You know, the, it, it, there's something about that human interaction that, you know, you can have the best software in the world, but it's not going to give you that, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Very important. Yeah. And you haven't even factored in the audience. I'm sure you've done shows where you have like these, uh, hard fought audiences where no one gives you the time of day and then somehow somehow something clicks two thirds of the way through the show and you win them over, especially in kind of like a original rock band context or yeah, sometimes. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) 
yeah absolutely yeah yeah i mean and and my um i have a little um little sort of like fusion trio as well and and that's you know some of the places i've played with that it's not the music for those rooms you know and you just do it anyway and 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 you get that sometimes you actually get a little bit of a moment where people go oh i don't really know what this is but i quite like it you know or you get the opposite and you just play for yourselves there which is fine too you know but yeah exactly exactly yeah. that's awesome so you've ended up in missouri and somehow you've ended up in la and uh right. And are teaching at uh, formerly Guitar Institute of Technology, which I think many people listening to this podcast would have absolutely dreamed of going to and studying, and maybe some even did. Um, so tell us yeah, a little bit about how you've ended up in LA. And uh, again, I can kind of see the answer is going to be hard work, hustle, 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 and be really <laughs> and creating opportunities. Well, I was, I was always. Um, it's funny actually. When I was at, at um, university in Canterbury, I was, I was getting recordings recorded at the baked potato in LA but I was buying them from Japan because that's where they were on sale so it's this weird kind of like pilgrimage to get to LA you know and as it, it was kind of a coincidental though my my wife um her job uh, a transfer opened up in LA and she and we'd been out here a couple of times and we both really liked it. So that's how we ended up in LA. But it, it was almost like starting over for a third time because when I went from England to America, obviously I had to start fresh. And then going from, so, I mean, I, we used to tour through the middle of the South, but we were based in St. Louis and going from St. Louis to LA, it's kind of starting over again. So it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm well versed at uh, what you have to do when you arrive in a new place, you know, but because LA wasn't going to be a place where you could make money from gigs unless you were very established. Um, that's that's why I kept with the teaching route, and and that's I ended up getting the job at the music academy. And while I was at the music academy, then I started playing with bands and making a lot of contacts and doing all that kind of thing. You know, now one of those contacts led me to MI. You know, and I went to and interviewed and did the whole thing for that. And um, I knew a couple of people there already, which probably is helpful, but you know, it, it was a great thing. You have to do a test lesson and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I was, and then I kind of got thrown in at the deep end. Um, there's a guy that's been there for 40 years, uh, Dan Gilbert, who's, who's a legend in the, in the school. And um, he had some family emergency the second week I was there. And so I had to cover all of his classes for that week. And these classes were like advanced and just, you know, they were his own curriculum. So I was really thrown in the deep end. And I was, uh, you know, it was quite a lot of sleepless nights going into that week, but it was great. You know, it, it was great. And I got, it's a good way to get a feel for the school <laughs> to be thrown in like that, you know, so just, just kind of did it. But yeah, it was, it, it was, it's, it's been a great environment, you know, um, it's a little different to maybe in the heyday in the sense that, you know, not, not, it's not quite so, I guess you would say guitar focused. I mean, the guitar program obviously is, but there's a lot of room for other things as well, you know, production, mixing, social media, all that plays a part now as it should with our modern uh industry now you know but no it's been it's been great it's been a really really nice experience that's awesome and you must just get some absolute freak monster players you do, oh, you yeah, do you ever feel intimidated yeah. as a teacher taking on some of these students not really because because I, i've always had that thing and i guess it's something i've said to my students a lot over the years is that i don't view music as a competition because i think as soon as you start to do that you're gonna lose <laughs> you know like, i remember les paul said you know like there's always a six-year-old that could outplay you you know and, and it, it, it's true you know and and so you know i, I not really i mean it, it's um it, the thing is making sure I can give those students that are already incredibly technically proficient, give them maybe something that they hadn't thought of, some, a different way, a different approach. Now, whether that's 
you know, a music theory based thing, whether it's an improvisational based thing, or maybe it's more of like a real world, you know, how you, how you go to an audition kind of, you know, whatever it is, you know, helping them in some way, because obviously they can play their harmonic minor better than I can, <laughs> you know, so it's got that kind of thing. I, I tell you what though, it does make you up your game because as soon as I started there, I got the curriculum and I was working that thing every night, you know, but just because you don't want to go in there and, and, you know, and not not be proficient enough to be teaching these guys, you know. So that was important too. So I think it, it's funny. Friends were saying to me at that time, like, "Oh, something's going on with your playing." They were noticing it. You know, I was back <laughs> woodshedding. You know, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's not, uh, amazing. And uh, so just nodding back to something you said about two yeah. months ago, the world is completely different to what it used to be. I used to tell my students all the time like you really take for granted how disconnected the world was and how in the dark everyone was so yeah um, obviously down here in australia like we got nothing we were about six to nine months behind anything movies would come out 12 months later than they did in america and the rest of the world and i just tell them there was this awesome kind of uh mystique about all your favorite guitar players and bands and you'd have to go get these guitar magazines and uh learn about them and you couldn't just go to Wikipedia or pull up the computer and just Google what kind of gear to slash use. You'd have to like kind of meet someone who took a photo of it. <laughs> or right, exactly. That's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking about that with a friend of mine and, and you know, how um, there's something strange about, you know, like if you discovered, if you discovered the music of a band, you've, ne- you've never heard, you heard a song and you thought, Oh, that's great. Let me, let me see what else there is. Their entire catalog is now available instantly to you. Right. And yeah. while on the one hand, that's, kind of cool that you can you can experience all that it does remove the mystique and i'm you know as you were just referring to you know you know how i remember we used to listen to this radio show on on uh, radio one late on a friday night and it was the only and it would play all this american rock music that we hadn't heard and this is like the first time i would be hearing you know van halen all this kind of stuff and um we would then go the next day to the record shop we we're you know like 14, 15, we would go the next day to the record shop and we'd save from our jobs or whatever. And we'd buy that one record. We'd each buy one. We'd copy the other one onto cassette for our friend, you know, and then you would spend the next three months with that record, you know, yeah. and that was it. And that was it. You know, and then you do it again. So it, it is, it's very hard for, to uh, explain that to somebody that hasn't grown up in, in that, isn't it? You know, yeah. it, it's it, funny you say that. Like, you know, my, my daughter, she's, 15 she's like oh can i get a, a walkman for christmas and i was like oh, oh that's cool and she's yeah. like oh it's a bit retro I'm like yeah but you've already got spotify you've got access to everything you would ever want why would yeah. you ever want to carry one cd around <laughs> and um, yeah. i just saying like yeah back in the day being able to walk around with your music was completely revolutionary but looking oh, back yeah. going oh man like you really take for granted the fact that you can just bring up almost anything on youtube and listen to it for free or again, with Spotify, you've got everything at your fingertips that you've ever wanted and there's not really anything obscure <laughs> that ever disappears. So it was an interesting present. I'm like, yeah, it's cool for that retro kind of vibe, but it's just completely uh, backwards. Well, it's funny you say that because I, I have a... I have a 10 year old daughter and I got the same thing. I also got her a CD walk with, but I was trying to encourage her to listen to an album from beginning to end, which is a whole nother thing, right? As well. You know, it's yeah. a whole other experience doing it like that as well. But yeah, you know, it, it may, you know, maybe, maybe, but you know, like vinyls come back, maybe these things go around, who knows, you know, I mean, things, things do go in cycles. Yes, we'll definitely. You know, um, but yeah, for the, for the guitar point of view as well, same thing, you know, I'm the same as you. You get the guitar magazine once a month. You, I used to buy those 
I remember buying one of those note for note cassettes, you know, and it's like, or you would just keep moving the needle back on the record, right? Just trying to hear how did that lick go or whatever, you know, which seems so dinosaur like now, doesn't it? You know, yeah, but, well, but that was a little time, bit before the, my time as well. So I didn't get that yeah. one there, but I had, uh, I think, Amazing Slowdowner was my error. <laughs> Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it did force you in a way to develop a good ear because what else are you going to do? You know, it's like you just have to keep doing it, you know. Do you feel like um, some of the younger generation of learners coming up less experienced in their ear training because they have everything so much easier with tab and internet and obviously greatly benefits the accelerated learning in some aspects but also hinders and other areas of development have you noticed that um within your position you know, it's funny I, I would think i would say yes and in some cases yes but i have been quite pleasantly surprised there's been i don't know why but especially a lot of students i've had in japan and south korea and china their ear training is outstanding and i don't i'm not quite sure how that's happened and they're very young guys um or girls but um so yes and no. I mean, I, I am always blown away by the technical prowess of 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 you know the the twenty something year olds, and I wonder if it's video game generation, something about picking things up quickly. That that you know, because I I've always picked things up kind of slow. I've always had to just kind of beat myself over the head with it, you know. So I do see that. I. And, I, and some of them write and some of them do have very kind of melodic phrasing and an understanding of, of taste, which is shocking to me and pleasantly shocking. Now, on the flip side to that, yes, I also do see people that they learn it note for note, but they're not going into, but why does this note work over this chord why you know they're just learning the surface level and i think with the with the youtube world there's a danger of that you know but at the same time back in the day we would some people would just learn the tab out of the magazine and not ever think about any deeper than that so i think that's always been there i think it kind of depends on the individual maybe right you know i mean it, it, i i do i have i have the mi thing has been a pleasant experience because i've seen students from all over the world that do have that they have they're very musical with it which i didn't expect going in you know i was thinking they're just going to be like shredding but they're very musical so yeah it's okay i think <laughs> yeah and do you find obviously uh, i think i've driven past the front of mit we made that at one of our stop off points on a, a recent holiday when i say recent it's probably talking seven years ago but last time we were right, in right. LA, we were like nice. you want to drive past the front of grt yeah. it was during the summer break so it was all yeah it's not much to see really there when you drive by but anyway yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but you obviously get students that uh, are already talented in some way or have passed some sort of audition to get in so yes. what's it like sort of only teaching intermediate and advancing students and i'm not just detract well, from the fact you might teach other people yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, actually, um, there are there are quite a lot of students that start at level one there, as it's called, technique one, reading one, and they're actually not very advanced, you know. So actually, quite a lot of them are are actually sort of more like, you know, they know some bar chords, they know a couple of pentatonics, and that's where they're at. And then you do have the the other side of that that are much more advanced. But those those, like I say, then it's about finding the areas that they need help with, you know, uh, and trying to try and explain that to them. A lot of them have memorized a lot of scales, but don't necessarily know what to do with them. You know, so it's like, oh, I know my melodic minor. Right. But do you know where the different places you could actually use that? 
No. Yeah, you know, so there's, there's a lot of that going on. I've had some pretty advanced students through my private lessons as well, and I enjoy that. You know, I, I like that. What's you know, I'm, I'm a I like to prepare. I mean, it's 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 not uh, the best way of time. It takes a lot of time, but I I keep notes on every student. Uh, you know, always have, and and I like to prepare and have a plan for the students because otherwise, you know, like I'm, I'm sure you've come across this. You know, I remember going t- for some lessons when I was younger, and, and a teacher saying, "Well, what do you want to do?" You know, and for me that was really strange because it's like, shouldn't you tell me <laughs> what yeah. we're going to do? You know, you know, not not saying like what are you interested, but literally what what do you want to do in this lesson? You know, which I think I think as a teacher you, you owe it to the student to have it an, an idea of where it's going to go. Don't you think? Yeah, oh, that's my number one indication of a. Um disorganized teacher or a disassociated right. teacher and right. I, I joke with um, my students uh unfortunately the the guy down the road <laughs> i'll go oh come i had a lesson with this guy it wasn't really going anywhere let me guess he yeah. sat down like this and he went so what do you want to work on today bob or right whatever? and yeah. i go no nah, that's not what we do i want to get to know you again i want to get to know the kind of music you like i do a free trial assessment with my students uh, yeah. assuming they're not total beginners so that i can see what they know identify a couple of bad habits pick out a few things yeah and then what i do depending on their long-term goals and short-term goals is i pick out a plan of attack and go kind of 80 20 principle what's the 20 percent of things we're going to use 80 percent of the time let's focus yep. on those skills concepts and techniques and then play through that way so if you just want to be an edge here and singer songwriter player let's focus on these skills if eddie van halen's your favorite player and you want to learn how to shred then we've got to go down this direction so uh and that allows us to save a lot of time you know not wasting time on sight reading if we're just going to be doing cowboy chords around the campfire right if someone comes and says i want to audition for uh vit here in um melbourne then we go okay well you got to get your <laughs> your chops up yeah. and you've got to understand your yeah. theory so and by personalizing it that way we're able to help students make really big gains uh strategically oh, absolutely and- yeah i think that's brilliant i'm really i think that's great you do that because i i, I send them a, a pretty long questionnaire before we start and it has some technical questions in it and then it has more like some short-term goals and kind of like you know styles of music they like so i can and then in the first lesson i do exactly what you just said there and kind of put that together because yeah it's like the thing about playing guitar is you can't do one size fits all. I mean, you can you can for some fundamentals, but once you get past that, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it would be you know if somebody just wants to play some pop songs for their friends and and you spend an hour a week with them sight reading, that's not gonna that's not gonna make them feel good, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, ultimately, no, it's great for, for the the people listening. Like, uh, if we want to retain our customer. Because our students are our customers, but we've got to wear multiple yeah. hats. We're obviously the coach, the mentor, the teacher, sometimes the psychologist, oh, uh, and definitely. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the friend the whole whole time as well. But yeah. if you're not uh, keeping your students in a direction that's congruent with where they want to go, if they want McDonald's and you drive them to KFC, <laughs> then they're not necessarily right. going to be happy. Maybe if you drive them to KFC once or twice, they're happy with it. But if you keep right. them going there every single time, then eventually right. they're going to go find someone who wants to take them where they need to go. Or if you're going to teach them something random, at least explain the uh, why they need it and how it's congruent yeah. to their goals. Yeah. And one thing I've found, you know, especially with younger students is, you know, it's important for because younger students can can take in a lot, you know, and, and yet there's, you know, and I know when I was that age, there's, you know, there's a certain reluctance sometimes to like maybe a bit of theory or a bit of this or a bit of that. So I, I think it's important with that as well to to introduce a little bit of that, but wrap it up in a way 
you know, that they can understand it. You know, like, oh, you're a big fan of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. This is a major seventh chord. This doesn't often show up in this kind of music, you know, that kind of thing. So they just kind of find ways to make it interesting for them still, but still get a bit of that in there because otherwise they could just be looking at a book. You know, it's like you want to get something where it's (laughs) you're passing that on, you know. That's it. At the end of the day, there is nothing – that you can teach them that they can't find on the internet for free at this day and age. So you need to have something that's going to set you apart. And that's the ability to find them exactly what they need. You need to be like their personal librarian to go, okay, the whole gamut of guitar things, this is what you need to solve that problem. And let's do it in hopefully a fun and entertaining way where we click and we hit it off and you look forward to coming. Because if you can't do that, then they'll either get it off the internet for free or they'll find a teacher who they do click a little bit better with. And you can't always keep every student. Some people you are going to clash with or um, just aren't going to be fun or enjoyable to teach. And then you just pass them on to the next person who's better suited for their journey. But you've got to try and make it fun for your students and give them a reason to come beyond just learning guitar. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I think one challenge I would say I've seen um, over the last probably – 10 years or so is gone through those st- stages. This happens occasionally. We've gone through those stages that you mentioned, you know, this, let's say this person wants to learn how to play blues or whatever. Right. And, and we're on a path to that. And we've started working through some fundamentals and some songs and they're starting to improvise. And it's all going well. And then, <laughs> and then you say to them, right, what I want you to do is uh, f- find some triads for this, for this stormy Monday blues, for example, right? And then come back to me next week and, and, and show me what you came up with. And then they come back next week and you say, how'd you get on with the, with those triads? And they go, well, this video popped up and it said, learn everything you need to learn about blues in five minutes. So I clicked on that. You know? <laughs> and, so, and so that I think is our biggest challenge in this day and age. Would you agree? 100%. And it's funny you bring that up because uh, I've just stepped into the world of YouTube after not doing it for, I think I made a channel nine years ago and did five tutorials and then right. uh, just went, no, nah, I'll, I'll do something else for now. Uh, and one of my video topics was going to be something along the lines of, here's a safe way to kind of use YouTube. And even I, I do this with my students uh, at the academy. I've got a special lesson called how to properly learn off the internet. And it basically just, I go to Ultima Guitar, I Google knocking on heaven's door, and I show you the the one with 40,000 five-star ratings has a mistake in the very first line. And I just go, here's how you should approach this. And then I show them a tab that I did um, from this really great Aussie guy called uh, Jimmy Barnes, actually a Scotsman who got famous in Australia. Oh, yeah, from, uh, from, it was, it was showed up in uh, uh, the vampire film, didn't he? Uh, uh, one of my, uh, you know, um, Jimmy Barnes' song was in... Uh Lost Boys. <laughs> yeah, in the Lost Boys, <laughs> it's a yeah. weird re- reference for the Higo. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but I, I just say, hey, here's something I did when I was 18. And I just, my teacher said, hey, why don't you try to transcribe something? And so I transcribed one of his songs and then uh, I put it up there. And it's to this day the highest rated version of that song. And oh, cool. it is all over the shop. But yeah, I, I just say, hey, look at all these people saying, thanks, man. This is awesome. It helped so yeah. much. And it's like, completely wrong. I think it's in the, it's in like a mixolydian key. I've got like the major notes in there, <laughs> right, right, those right, right, kind right. of things. Uh, it was yeah, just yeah, the best yeah. I could do it at 16, but getting sure. distracted from the, um, the video point I was going to make is yeah. you got to stop connecting the dots. You're going oh, one little secret to help you do this or help you do that. But all you're doing is adding more and more dots, which you need to come back and connect later. So I just say to my students, look, if you do what I ask you to do, I don't care how many YouTube videos, do one thing on your practice list that you need to move the ball forward with what we do and then have your dessert, watch something on YouTube. But yeah, very, don't go down a rabbit hole. uh, And you, you might comment on this is 
I've got a whole bunch of students who know of everything, but they can't execute anything. (laughs) And that's what YouTube's done. It's like that buffet or the smorgasbord where you have a bit of this, you have a bite of that, you have a bite of that. And then you just feel terrible at the end because you've overconsumed and stuffed yourself and yeah. Right. right. That's very true. Yeah. And those, and those food groups don't sit well together. Right. So yeah, yeah exactly. No, I, I think that's very true. And one, one thing I, I try to do with that when the student gets to a point where, where they've taken in quite a lot of information and everything, I say, right, let's just apply everything to one song, you know, and you take that one song and you, and you say, right, first of all, you know, what keys the song in? Why is that? That Let's play the chords as open. Let's play the chords. Maybe it's caged or triads up the neck, you know, in a couple of places. You know, once they've got that, how would you improvise over it? Why? And, you know, one thing after another, chord time, even if they're just pentatonic playing, still do it, you know, and, and so that way, and then I make them a jam track of that exact thing. And then, you know, their practice session is musical. It's like they're still going through the notes on the neck and the chord and all the things they need to practice, but it's all getting applied to that song, you know. And I think I think application is very important with those kind of things. And that goes to what you just said about they they can rationalize a lot of these things, but can they actually apply them? You know? Yeah. And just building on what you said, I think a lot of guitar teachers and even students they're so caught up in learning that they never take a step back and go, hang on, can I apply this? And how much do I need to, you know, to do? And you can point out yeah. a lot of the early blues players, their yeah. knowledge of the instruments and scales and all these kind of things is very, very limited, but yeah, they yeah. do the most amazing musical things. So we often get caught up in, hey, I need to learn this and that and what's what's missing rather yeah. than, hey, you just have to do it 10,000 times or you need to try and take these basic licks and make them musical in some way. And, and that was my biggest downfall was always looking for that next scale to learn or that next bit of knowledge yeah. or the music theory when if I hadn't just sat down and played and jammed right. with people and tried to make it musical. So I'm definitely from the, the shred camp who was always uh, envious of people that can make really simple things very melodic straight away. And the way that I turned it around was to – you know, slow down, listen to the music and just stop worrying about being the fastest player in the world and competing in the Guitar Olympics and just focus on the music and making beautiful sounds. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. You know, and, and also, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, information out there. And so like I've done a bunch of masterclasses for MI and, and other companies and stuff. And one series that I did was basically saying, you know, how do you make music with a mode, for example, right? And and like, you know, I did one recently on Mixolydian and I was explaining in it that Mixolydian is sort of, it sits underneath that so many classic rock songs, as we call them now, right? You know, the Mixolydian chord progression, whether it's Sweet Child of Mine or, or Sweet Home Alabama or whatever it is, right? And just letting people see that once they spot that, they could then, you know, they could take a major pentatonic and build that into Mixolydian and, and, and just and just where are the sweet notes? What's the point of even knowing it, you know, and like making it super musical and really getting a lot of emotion out of it? Because when people think about modes, they tend to intellectualize them, right? And so just thinking of it more like a blues bass kind of thing and playing and then showing them, you know, oh, you could also use this over funk or jam band music or whatever, you know. And so just, just that thing, because I think people get on forums and they argue back and forth about what this scale should be called but that's got nothing to do with playing music has it you know like you say so you know, i mean in some ways the reason we even have names for some of these things is so we can teach it or communicate with other musicians but if you're playing a gig you know i've played with some 
pretty pretty heady jazz musicians now. None of these guys speak in these terms. You know, they just play. <laughs> you know? yeah. So it's it's you know, so it, it's it's more a vehicle for us because we have to be able to explain it to our students. You know, and so you can't just say, "Well, play what you feel." You know, you, you we have to have a way to explain it. But I think there is a danger of over intellectualizing it for sure. Yeah, and all of your favorite players never went to music school, never went to college for music. They just went out and played or, you know, they they would get a gig and they'd be learning from all the other musicians and the, the education come through the immersion in the experience. And uh, there's countless stories of Jimi Hendrix, you know, doing a session with this band and then learning from the guitar player in that band and traveling here and learning from there. Definitely, and yeah. that's how you got to do it. You just got to go out and play. But uh, yeah, I think there's definitely... Um, a lot of over-intellectualization, as you've said there, and there's almost traps you fall into of labeling. And you just got to realize that, yeah. hey, guys, the theory came afterwards as a means of explaining what they were doing. Uh, but a lot of the time, a lot of your favorite guitar players didn't necessarily know how to quantify that or explain it. They no. just figured something out and, and rolled with it. <laughs> but but there is one thing they all have in common, and that is a great ear, you know. And I think that one thing I think is overlooked in, in guitar lessons and probably just music lessons generally is the ear training aspect i think if i think it should be you know instilled fairly early on in lessons for people to start just listening in life for what intervals are you know i identify because really when you think about it if you can spot an interval by sound relative to one note to another that's everything really that's all chords all scales you know so i think i think that's missing a little bit at, at least at least the importance of it is you know and and i i uh, uh, a friend of mine at uh, mi dean brown who's a phenomenal guitar player um he is like the king of ear training that man is like you know every every day it's an ear training thing for him but uh you know yeah intervals are huge that, that ear training is the one thing and you know those guys that you're mentioning probably didn't sit down and go right i'm going to listen to the difference between a major third and a minor third or a minor six but they played so much with so many other people in so many different situations that that they got it through osmosis kind of thing right yeah it just becomes intuitive when you're immersed in it exactly. Exactly. What, what advice would you give to teachers who they've only got 30 minutes with a student 60 minutes with a student and that's the kind of student you know 98 percent of our maybe 90 percent 90 percent of the people that come to learn with us are just going to be hobby players and we'd be lucky if they pick up the guitar two or three times a week for 20 minutes. How do you go about working on ear training with students like that? Your average, average everyday person who likes guitar as a hobby. I think what you do is you look for examples of it in what they're already learning. So you, if they if they love Bob Dylan songs, for example, you know, you're teaching them, you know, like a Rolling Stone. And at some point during that 30 minutes or 60 minutes, you just take a moment and you go, this is this chord progression C D minor E minor F G is actually going up a major scale, and you just you just float that little bit of theory in there and let them hear the intervals, and then you go back to the songs. You know, so like I wouldn't I wouldn't spend the whole six minutes because they're going to be like, what, what am I supposed to do with that? You know, but the more you the more you plant those seeds perhaps that will become something they're more interested in and perhaps they'll want to take it further as well. But at the same time, as you said earlier, they are the customer. So if they just want to play some songs for, that's fine too. But I, I would still float a little bit of it in there just to see kind of how it, how it lands. And, you know, and sometimes people just, that's just not what they want to do. They literally just want to be able to do it from muscle memory and that's fine. But I'd say nine times out of 10, when you do that, that person comes back with a question and it goes from there in my yeah. experience. Yeah. That's it. And you just got to keep on watering that seed consistently over time and eventually grows yeah Yeah, definitely 
Definitely, yeah. Awesome. Well, Rob, we are coming near the end, so I just wanted to ask more of a business question uh, sure. and for the guitar teachers because we have a, a big business emphasis on top music. Yeah. What do people have to do in 2023 to become a successful guitar teacher? So whether there's people with an offline studio wanting to get online or an online studio that's just not working for them, you're the man who's, uh, as we've seen from True Fire, Jam Play, uh, all these kind of things, you're doing very, very well for yourself. So if someone was coming to you and saying, hey, Rob, I want to become a guitar teacher in 2023, what a three things, bits of advice or a plan of attack that you'd set out for them? Well, I'd say number one, and this is, you know, things we've already talked about maybe, but I'd say number one is your philosophy towards the student should be the things we've mentioned. Make a plan. Make a plan for every student, you know, and number two, be organized. Don't be 10 minutes late for a lesson. Don't keep changing the time on the student. You know, be be reliable. And treat, treat it the same way you would treat you know, any, any, any other appointment you have. And I, you know, and you have to ask the students to do that as well, because sometimes students think, oh, music's just a fun thing. It's not like going to the doctors, you know, and you have to remind them, well, if you don't go to the doctors, you have to pay. So, you know, if you miss your appointment, you know, so, so treat it, treat it with, with respect in the sense from what they do and also what you do, be prepared, make a plan, be reliable, be enthusiastic about it. I mean, it's like it's a it's a joy to be able to pass this information on to people, right? I mean, if you go into a guitar lesson with someone and they're kind of like, eh, you know, you want to play a power chord, <laughs> you know, that, that's a, you're not going to feel very good after that, are you? you know, so so it, it, it's um, it's important, I think, to um, to share your enthusiasm uh, about about it uh, with, the, with the student. And, and the third thing, or maybe fourth, I don't know, thing I would say is don't feel like you have to show the student everything you can play on the guitar. Cause a, a guitar lesson is not about that. That's what a gig's for, right? Depending on the gig, you know, but, but, uh, don't, don't feel like you have to sit them down and show them your neoclassical arpeggios. Cause that's not relevant, right? You know, what you're supposed to be doing is getting them excited about what they're playing on the instrument as well. So th those are the things off the top of my head that come to mind you know some really really solid advice there now rob where can our listeners find a bit more about what you do where can they connect with you online uh but best place is probably my website because it has links to everything else from there uh which is robgarland.net so guys i uh, will post obviously rob's social media links and a link to his website and you can check that one out and see all the awesome things rob is there anything uh you're selling or any products you're pushing at the moment that you think our guitar teacher could use yeah, I have a motivational ebook on Amazon. I think it's four dollars. It's not very expensive, and it's it's called Guitar Play, uh, Motivation and Practice. And basically, you know, I've written instructional books before, and I'm actually doing a couple more for another company now. Um, Fundamental Changes. But this is an ebook that I just wrote myself. And rather than guitar lessons, I wanted to write about staying motivated you know what should you practice and and how do you how do you keep it going over a long time if you've had a really busy day at work and you don't feel like picking up the guitar how do you get in the mindset for this so i sort of put all those ideas into this one um, ebook so maybe people would find that helpful uh, and then i have some i have a, some new music coming out early next year but again if you go to the website you could you could you'll see the links to that so yeah if you just go to robgarland.net that would be great fantastic well rob on behalf of the top music community thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's been a pleasure speaking and sharing in all your experiences and awesome advice so wishing you all the best for 2023 and our listeners guys this is going to be your year uh definitely check out that motivation stuff because i'm sure some of us 
we'll benefit from that ourselves, let alone for all the uh, uses with our students as well. But Rob, thank you one more time. And we'll see you guys in the next exciting episode. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. If you enjoy this show and want to hear more of our work, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. For links and resources mentioned in this episode, including a free ebook on how to find more guitar students, visit us at www.topmusic.co slash guitar or check out the show notes. And lastly, thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.